It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. I'm not one of those who can easily hide. Ooh, now he's singing from the bottom of a well, everyone. So there you go. <laughs> Welcome to Puffcast, your Harry Potter happy place. This is episode 33 on June 9th, 2021. I am Melanie. And I'm Juliana. And this week we have a very special guest with us. The one and only Death Eater who stops the train. It is John Campling. Welcome, John. Welcome, Mel. Yay! Absolute joy to be here. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this for what? How long has this been booked? Like two months or something, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a been while. been seeing it in my diary, <laughs> yeah. just edging closer. I can't believe it's actually today and it's actually yeah. happening right now. Is this your yeah. first podcast that you are part of? I think it's probably about my third, maybe. I haven't done that many. I've maybe done... Okay. Yeah, oh. and that, that's like over two or three years as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. It's a rare thing. The elusive <laughs> campling. Well, we're glad to be your third. Yes. <laughs> So, John, why don't you give us a quick rundown of who you are? So maybe if you know your Hogwarts house, your Patronus, your wand, things like that, we would absolutely love to get to know you from a Harry Potter perspective first off. Okay, so uh, I'm a Slytherin, obviously, because I'm a Death Eater and I love it. It's not like I'm a reluctant (laughs) Death Eater. I love being a Death Eater. I love kidnapping people. So I was very very willing. Good to know. It's funny, my answer to that is, is always King Regis. King Regis made it all better. King Regis cancelled out all my bad deeds. I was a very bad wizard and then I was a very good wizard. Uh, but I, I don't want to leap ahead with your with your ah. topics. Now, Patronus is going to be disappointing because I, I don't know what my Patronus is. I'm not very good with choices. Yeah. And also, I've never had a Patronus revealed to me. So no, nothing external has ever made me choose a Patronus. And I've never decided to choose one. Mm. I don't know what to do about that. It's always my worst question. I always just want the earth to swallow me up whenever I'm asked what my Patronus is. Let's see. What would you choose yourself if you could yeah. right now? What's your favorite animal that might... <laughs> I refer you to my, my very first answer. I'm really bad at, with choices. <laughs> I, I'm that guy you don't want to go to a restaurant with, especially if it's got a really big menu. I want to try it all. How could I possibly know without trying everything? I'm... Okay, I log one in for you. Yeah? I will put the rubber ducky for you as a Patronus because that's just... It, it fits, I think. And everyone who watches your stream knows what I mean. <laughs> it's the rubber ducky. <laughs> I've finally been patronus yeah, you're welcome. Superb. That means I, I <laughs> wow, I can't, that dilemma. You see, I'm, I'm very easily suggestible. <laughs> I just, I just don't like making uninformed choices myself. Thank you yeah. so much. You, you have genuinely, that is a question I always fear. No longer. And I, I'm going to always have a little no duck longer. with me so I can, I can quickly whip out my Patronus <laughs> and offer it up. Wow, well done. Thank you. Thank you for that. So what have we got? Wand. Wand is slightly odd as well, because we all know there are Death Eater wands. You know, you can go to the Harry Potter store and you can you can buy mm-hmm. the official Death Eater wand. But speaking as a Death Eater who had a wand, 
My wand didn't look anything like that. My wand didn't have a snake curling around a skull or, or any such frippery. Um, <laughs> my, my wand was the plainest pieces of wood, a very slight wobble on it. And I chose it myself. Someone from Warner Brothers approached me with a box on set on my first day. Out of nowhere, they just turned mm -hmm. up and opened a box and said, would you care to choose your wand, Mr. Campling? That really Ooh. happened. And, and it seemed very That's weird. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, well, I, and I was on the set of Harry Potter dressed as a Death Eater when a man came up to me and said, would you care to choose your wand? And at that moment, reality and fiction just kind of went, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> would you care to choose your wand, Mr. Campling? Whoa. So that was quite surreal. <laughs> but I don't know what wand it was. I didn't think to ask. I was so mesmerized by this man offering oh, me a wand no. that I, I didn't think of anything sensible to say. Like, for future podcasts, <laughs> what wand is this? <laughs> Final point on the wand. Uh, if you go to Leaveston Studios, if you go to the Harry Potter tour at Leaveston Studios and at the end of the tour, mm -hmm. you, you go to um, Diagon Alley and then you go into Ollivander's, which is there. And you see the assistant mm -hmm. and you say, can you show me the Death Eater who stops the Hogwarts Express's wand? They will show you my wand box because it exists in the wall of wand boxes in Ollivander's on oh. Diagon Alley at the Leaves and Studios. Do you mean the wall with all the names on the boxes that yep. from everyone yep. who has taken part? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's so cool. I've seen it. Everyone who had a mm. wand. Yeah. And luckily my wand box is quite low down so you can have a selfie with it. Yeah. <laughs> Now I know what I'm gonna do next time I'm there. So, and I will send you a picture. <laughs> yes, that's one of my favorite things. That's It so happens cool. every now and again. Someone will tag me in a photo and they're with my wand box. Yeah. Uh, favorite food that is not pizza. It's a good job you put that because I do like pizza. <laughs> oh, see, we are seers here. <laughs> But I'm not good with choices I, and lists and top tens are my favorite <laughs> things. So one of my favorite foods is licorice. Oh, I love licorice. I'm a big licorice fan. Red licorice or black licorice? Uh, it's got to be black licorice. Licorice, licorice. Oh, okay. Okay, you and I are in the same camp then. We're good. Oh, there's no such thing as <laughs> strawberry flavored licorice. Literally no such no. thing as... Because mm -mm. if it's strawberry flavored, <laughs> then it's, it's not licorice. <laughs> yep, that's what I think too. So, uh, so licorice is probably one of my favorite foods. And also, what else I suppose? I mean, they all sound like bad foods really. But uh, Marmite crisps, Marmite. Ooh. Did you have Marmite in, in America? No, 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 no. I don't even think I've ever tried Marmite. I know what it is, but I've never yeah. tried it. It's a very strong flavor. I've tried it on toast once and it was yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, that's Marmite. It's a thing no. that you either love or you hate it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and you can get crisps with Marmite on and they are the best flavored crisps in the world. Mm. But they're quite hard to get. You can't. They're, they're quite rare. So there you go. Yeah. Marmite and licorice. Uh, bullet point five. Tell us about yourself briefly. Briefly? Yes. I'm an actor from Yorkshire. I'm 54. I have hair down to my waist. My beard is longer than you think it is. Mm -hmm. I'm learning to play guitar and I'm quite nice. Yeah, that, that's a good that's, summary. <laughs> that's what happens when I try to be brief. It's weird, right? <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. We talk a little bit more in detail about you in our main discussion. But for now, we are going to jump into our feedback. Do, 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 do. News. Good evening and welcome to the evening news as you have the news 
in the evening that is the evening news because we are the evening news and here we are but what if someone is listening to it in the morning it's not evening news hello and welcome to the morning news now <laughs> happening in the evening afternoon news so now we have also happening in the evening <laughs> okay welcome to the any time of day news brought to you by popcast your harry potter happy place <laughs> today on the news we have a few news points and our first one is that we have a new patron, Kayla. Woo! Yay! Yay! Woo! Thank you for joining our Patreon. Yes, Kayla has joined us at the level where she gets to be a host on Puffcast. And mm-hmm. we are very excited to have her as a host at some point because she is a mental health professional. And as you listeners may know, Mel and I are uh, supporters of the mental health community, I guess. Mental health promotion community, I guess, is kind of what I'm going for. Yeah. We're excited to talk with her, possibly how the wizarding world needs therapists, potentially. Something along those lines. They do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they do. Uh, yeah, we are looking forward to chatting with you. We are actually having soon some more Patreons coming on as our guests that are in line. Mm-hmm. So you can look forward to getting to know some of our new friends. And uh, we're really excited about that. Yes, our next guest episode will actually be our friend Jen, who is our yes. patron. So look forward to that. Thank you, Jen, for being a part of that too. And thank you to all of our patrons. And if you would like to join us over on Patreon, you can join us for as little as $2 dollars a month and you will also help us donate to charity thank you okay so our next little bit of news is that as of today there will be one week until the podcast that i am newly a host on called into the fold a grishaverse podcast will be coming out so i said that in a kind of roundabout way but june 17th the first episode of me and jeff everyone's favorite Hogsmeade Explorer will be coming out. So if you are a new reader or you've just seen the Shadow and Bone show or you're a seasoned Grisha, we would love to have you over there. You can just go head over to Into the Fold on any podcasting platform and listen to the trailer there. And we will see you in the fold on June 17th. And today, as of releasing, is my birthday! It's my birthday. I I am getting older. I'm turning 28. Wow, look at me being old. 28 and old. I'm so much older. Uh, <laughs> see, for me, I feel so old because I see my brother because I'm the oldest of four kids. And he's turning 24 this year. And I'm like, how is my brother, who in my head is maximum 16 years old? I have the same with my brother. He is going to turn 33 this year. And for me, he is still my mm-hmm. tiny little troublemaker brother, mm-hmm. you know. And he is all grown up and has a baby now and all of that. It's just, it it will never change in your head that your it's siblings so are always your small. It's the same goes for my cousins. It's the same. Oh, it's just so weird. Everyone sent in good luck and birthday wishes for Juliana. Yes. It's her big day of... Being 28, I was 28 once, 10 years ago. (laughs) It's not about how old you are in years, Mel. It's about how old you are mentally. I know. And I don't look my age still, so that's good too. (laughs) No, you definitely don't. I would say you look like maybe 30 years old, if I was going to guess, like just based off of your looks. Like I know you're, you can't be in your early 20s because you look like a little bit more like seasoned than a 20 year old. Wow. That is, sounds rude. (laughs) 
You look more seasoned. <laughs> okay, I was, wow. I was trying to think of the right word, because I look at kids who are like 20 years old, and I'm like, wow, these people look like weird. I think I have to shut you down now okay, before Julia we just talking. going to. <laughs> I'm just going off on a rant at this point. Okay, so the last bit of news that we have today is that the Harry Potter store in New York City is open as of right now. It opened on June 3rd. We have some friends who got a sneak peek Yeah. on recording this. That was the 29th of May. Mm -hmm. So I would just like to say, Stephen, next time you go, I would like to go as well. <laughs> Why did you not invite me? He did post so many really lovely pictures. Uh, it looked fantastic so if you have the chance to go to this store you know especially try the vegan butterbeer yeah i am just i'm still so hung up on that that i want to try it also ah uh, but i have to be patient and wait yeah it, it looks so amazing too and from what i saw from his mm -hmm. stories and some of the other people uh who got to attend the opening they were just all singing the praises of how well themed and how well staged this whole store is so i definitely look forward to going there at some point yeah Hopefully, it will be at a point where maybe Cursed Child is down to one play, because they've been talking about that, like reducing it down. To, <laughs> and also, Puffs the Play is back off Broadway. Oh, that wouldn't that be nice? And then I can go to this store. <laughs> and so, you know, I just make my rounds and just live my best Harry Potter life, you know? Yeah. Okay. So... Our last bit we still wanted to mention is a quick response from our friend Sarah from Sweden. Hello! And she actually gave us a translation as to what SPEW or S-P-E-W is in Swedish. I'm going to try my best <laughs> to pronounce this, but it is F-I-S-A or FISA. It, it says Föreningen uh, Oh my god, I'm I'm terrible. Wait, let me let me fix that here. Föreningen för ideellt stöd åt allfänna. No, that's not how I would pronounce it. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> I was thinking it's for foraging for idit sod alferna. Yeah, it's close. Do you want to hear once more? Yeah. Föreningen för ideellt stöd åt allfänna. No, I, I that's not. what we said yeah that's what exactly what i just said <laughs> and it's basically also a direct translation of the elfish warfare um mm -hmm. as we know it in english so thank you sarah that was a really fun tidbit here i, I always love seeing those differences so and ali in case you are you are listening now you know it in swedish as well and uh i hope that <laughs> That gives anyone joy. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah, for sending that in. The Wizarding World. Improv comedy. Me, the Dark Lord. What do these things have in common? They can all be heard on a very Potter podcast. Your best resource for all things Harry Potter. Within the show, you'll find scathing interviews with Rita Skeeter as she interviews our cast. Hilarious scenes in games, sometimes featuring he who must not be named. We also will sort franchise characters and objects into Hogwarts houses. New episodes every month, new segments every season. We hope you'll join us. Mischief ma- Just kidding. Avada Kedavra! Yes. And 
that was already it for today. Yes, that's all we have for today. So we'll just hop right on over and see what John and past Melanie and past Juliana are up to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, and now we will get into our main discussion, which is our interview with John. So this is where we're going to get all of the in-depth stories, maybe about licorice, maybe about a bunch of other things. We're, again, we're, we're excited to chat with you, John. I can help with any of those things. So. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> so excited. I'm here for you. So first, I know that there is a lot of things you have done before you became an actor. So yeah. maybe you want to tell us what you did before you decided to become an actor and how did you make the decision that, hey, you know what, I want to act. Wow, that's a great question. It's a dangerous question because I have like 20 paths I could take to answer that question. Oh boy. <laughs> a bit of my brain now is, is just mapping the route, the, the route to taking the best and the funniest stories on the way to tell you. Um, the reason I've got so many roots is because it's quite now looking back as an older man looking back at my life it it looks like it was all destiny like everything that happened that I thought was my life randomly crashing into stuff and being chaotic and now I look back and it's like oh no everything led to something else everything was connected and Mm -hmm. it put me on I put me on the path that I needed to be on so I have two viewpoints of the whole thing the viewpoint of the young boy that it all happened to and the viewpoint of the wise man who can see that it was all just meant to be didn't really enjoy school Uh, I'm dyslexic but I didn't really I didn't know I was dyslexic till I was about 28 me too yeah hey oh me too I I just got diagnosed like a year ago yeah (laughs) you know suddenly a lot of things make sense right and you go back and look at your oh yeah oh my childhood makes sense everything that went Mm -hmm. wrong at school suddenly made sense so uh, but at the time when I was at school I'm always very enthusiastic so I was enthusiastic about school but I just didn't like it it did not interest me in any way really very few lessons appealed to me I've got quite a short attention span. I like to do things that I'm interested in and I really don't like doing things I'm not interested in to the point where I find it very difficult to do things I'm not interested in. My brain just will not play ball, but that doesn't really fit into school. School doesn't work with that type of brain. Plus, about the same time I found out I was dyslexic, I also found out that I was a genius, quite literally with an IQ of 152, which really made my childhood make sense because at school, the teachers thought I was stupid because of dyslexia but I was really very smart so it really it really messed with them they really didn't know what to what to do I would say you know I would say smart things to teachers but they thought I was the stupid kid so when the stupid kid says smart things to you it's very weird so anyway that meant that my I didn't really enjoy school but what I did like at school was when we used to read plays Sometimes in the English lesson, the English teacher Mm -hmm. would give us a play and we'd, you know, we'd all read like a page each or a character each. And I always loved that. I always came alive. I just and I used to get annoyed that the other kids would read really badly. They just read the, you know, they didn't want to do it. And when it came to my part, I'd read really, you know, I bring the characters to life. So that was the first clue. And I think that, that from that, I just felt I just always felt like I was always happy when I was acting or thinking about acting. So from my perspective, as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be an actor secretly in my head without telling anybody. I should point out, I grew up in in Yorkshire, which is a a town called Hull, a working class town. Mm -hmm. So we were a fairly poor working class northern family. I only mention it because the dream of being an actor was, you know, like being a spaceman. Same kind of impossibility (laughs) it felt like for me Mm -hmm. in the 70s. But it was always there. It was always there. Always. I decided to act upon it when I changed schools and I was about 13 we changed schools and in the new school I decided to join the drama group 
So I plucked up the courage to find the room where the drama group was. And I, I remember standing outside the door wait, waiting to knock. I was very nervous. I'm like 13. I'm not very confident. You know, I've really got to do this acting thing. So I'm outside the door. In my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to walk in and they're all going to look, look at me. You know, I won't belong. What are you doing here? All of that negativity. So I, I finally decided, no, don't be stupid, John. That's not going to happen. The universe is watching me at this point, I should point out, laughing. I then knock on the door. They say, come in. I walk in. The whole room has stopped and they're all looking at the door and watching me. And then they all turn to each other and they start nodding and going, yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All whispering, like my worst nightmare. Everything I thought <laughs> outside the door is coming true. They're all whispering and pointing. And, and it turns out just before I knocked on the door, They'd been trying to work out who to cast as Romeo in the production of Romeo and Juliet. Nobody <laughs> wanted to do it. And at that moment, I knocked on the door, walked in, and they all went, yeah, yeah, he could play Romeo. Yeah, yeah. And they cast me as Romeo straight off. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow, right? Remember, the universe is watching. Yeah. The universe is watching and laughing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's had its first little joke. Three weeks into rehearsal, not only have I had Juliet, the actress playing Juliet, her boyfriend has been turning up to rehearsals, giving me the evil eye <laughs> from the wings. And then three weeks into production, somebody set fire to the school and burnt down the, the, the stage <laughs> and the theatre. Oh, my God. I'm not saying he did it. In this stream, we were speculating if it was the envious and jealous <laughs> boyfriend that <laughs> I mean, wanted to just destroy your uh, career. <laughs> uh, he, he would stand in the wings of rehearsals and just stare at me mm. all the way through rehearsals. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> so that was, that was terrifying in itself. But I was getting on with it. Um, the school stage was burnt down, never rebuilt. The drama group never restarted. Oh, wow. So now I've got no outlet. Universe is up there laughing <laughs> as we mess with John's life and affect him in deep and meaningful <laughs> ways. Um, and I'm like, well, that was it, you know. And then finally I get frustrated. A year later, I tell my mom, I tell her that I wanted to do some acting. I got really upset and I said, mom, I'm really unhappy and I, I want to do some acting. I'm really sad that the play got stopped and everything. And my mom, without telling me, she contacted some local amateur dramatic groups and she got me into one of the adult oh. amateur dramatic groups oh okay yeah so i was with them for a couple of years and that was fine then i stopped doing that to do my exams to leave school at 16 and then i accidentally got a really good job as a trainee engineer a job for life i didn't want it i only applied for the job to please my dad and then i accidentally got it and then that was it i had a really good job a four-year apprenticeship and then a job for life. So in a blink of an eye, without trying, I accidentally ruined my life and lost any chance to be an actor, which was very depressing. And I did that job for six years. Oh, wow. And I was very depressed for the whole six years. My, my mental health went down every year because I hated the job. I didn't want the job, but the money was good and everyone was very proud of me. So everyone thought I should be happy, but I was very miserable. But weirdly, because I got so unhappy, that's what gave me the impetus to leave and apply for drama school. So if I hadn't have got so miserable, I would never have dreamt of applying to drama school. I wasn't brave enough, I don't think. But I, I felt like I had no choice. So I started applying for drama schools. Again, in hindsight, it was all meant to be, weirdly. So yeah, and then I, I got into drama school. So I got a three-year place at drama school. I got all the money to pay for it from the council. So it didn't cost me anything. So I quit my job after six years. Oh, wow, that's great. Said goodbye to the job I hated and have been trying to be an actor ever since. 
<laughs> choose my words wisely. <laughs> well, I'd say you succeeded from what I've seen. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's not it's not good to ever stop trying, but no, I no. think you've probably achieved at least most of your goal at this point. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing, I don't think. I never wanted to be famous. You know, I, I wanted to act. I liked acting. I liked the the doing of acting I never once yeah. thought of the effect it can have you know and I was thinking of theatre I was always going to be a theatre actor yeah in fact you know I, I've always seen fame as an occupational hazard to be avoided at all costs and I have mm-hmm. avoided it until the last sort of four years and even then only a little bit famous tiny tiny bit <laughs> which is okay which is okay yeah well that's that's really exciting it's great that you had that contrast to kind of give you the springboard into what you actually wanted to do exactly because i agree with you i feel i feel like if things had just been kind of melancholy maybe you wouldn't have made that switch no exactly that's exactly what i often say had i just been a bit unhappy i'd have put up with it right i'd have just stayed there Mm -hmm. i became seriously unhappy and that's when you can do interesting things and you can dig deep in yourself and I look back now at the 22 year old who quit his job to go to drama school and I'm like whoa I can't believe you had the the balls to do that because because now that would be such a big deal for me to do and I'm like wow I I guess I guess it speaks it was I guess what I mean is it was very out of character for me to do something like that which I guess is the reason being my circumstances were so extreme that I did something out of character but in a good way yeah phew yeah what kind of theater did you go to drama school for? Was it traditional theater, like live acting kind of roles? Is that what you were really after when you went to theater school? Do you know, I, I really didn't care. I'd worked out by this point. By the time I went to drama school, uh, I skipped a little bit where between after the amateur dramatics and then once I'd settled into the job for a year, I was then wanting to do some more acting, but I didn't want to do the amateur dramatics again. And I almost got into a fight over a girl. Now I'm I'm not a, I'm not a fighter. This again very out of character for me. It's slightly weirder than that. You know you know what CB radio is? Citizens Band Radio. I have no idea what that is. Oh wow, it's it's so funny as we get into the future and old references just lo- lose all their meaning. <laughs> CB radio. Uh, it's where where, where you you you, t- you talk on a radio to, to pe- people have them in their cars. Truckers have them. Oh okay. Um, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. Yeah yeah. Uh, gotcha. It's funny because back in the day, that was like the internet because mm-hmm. that, that allowed two people remotely to talk to each other privately without a telephone. Yep. So CB was really big uh, and I was called the Phoenix because you had to have a handle, like a username. So it's again, the analogy holds water because I thought it sounded cool. Yeah, I was a bit vain and I thought you're going to be on the CB. No one can see you. It's just a <laughs> voice. So you can reinvent yourself. So I call myself the Phoenix. And I dated a girl called Iron Fist, who I fell in love with via her voice. And we dated for about three weeks. It was, you know, teenage love. And then she broke up with me and I was devastated. And then because I'm on the CB, I can hear her talking because you can hear gen- you can hear conversations as well. She started talking to another boy called Bottle Boy. And then they started dating. Oh, no. And I got jealous. Wow. But, but, but then they broke up as well. But I didn't know. And then one Saturday, I heard Bottle Boy on the CB and I was in my car. And you could track someone down by the strength of their signal because this is analog, so signals varied. So I, I managed to park my car outside his house because I knew where he lived because of his signal. And we were talking on the CB and we were both getting a little bit, you know, a little bit puffy chest. And then I said to him, and I said to him, well, you know, I'm parked outside. Why don't you come out and say that to my face? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I will. I will. And I'm like, well, why don't you then? Yeah, I will. I will. Why don't you then? So then he comes out and I get out my car 
It turns out neither of us are really up for this at all. So we stood outside his house with his face <laughs> off. And then he just said to me, actually, do you want to, do you want to talk about it inside over a cup of tea? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love a cup of tea. I'm patched. <laughs> How British of you. <laughs> so so we, we, we were both so relieved that we weren't going to fight. So I've never met this guy before. I then get talking to him in his living room. And, and, we, and it, it turns out we've got something in common. We both like Iron Fist. And we talk about her and how great she is. So we kind of get on. Uh, and then we both decide that we want to get over her. We want to move on. And then, and this is the life-changing moment. This is the life-changing moment of the whole story. His brother comes in and Steve, the guy, bottle boy, says to me, ah, John, this is my brother, Steve. Steve, this is my new mate, John. John, uh, my brother, he's just come back from Hull Truck Youth Theatre. And that was like... Slow motion. Oh, okay. These words, Hull Truck Youth Theatre. And I spent the next 30 minutes grilling the pair of them quite intensely <laughs> about, about what is Hull Truck Youth Theatre? Can I go? Why don't I know about it? What do they do? Because this, this was like, remember, I'm working at British Aerospace now. I've been a year into my dead end, into the job that I hate. I haven't done any acting. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, in the middle of this failed fight with a stranger, which turned into a tea, he suddenly says his brother's just come back from Hull Truck Youth Theatre. Hull Truck is a very famous theatre company based in Hull. Ah, okay. So, and then Steve says to me, actually, John, I used to go, but I stopped. But I'm thinking of going back with my brother next week. Why don't you come with us? And then he says, oh, and by the way, John, it's like 10 girls to every guy, <laughs> which is true, which is true, right? That, you know, what the a arts. selling point. <laughs> but, yeah. So we're both trying to get over this girl, Iron Fist. I'll come with you and we'll, we'll try and divert ourselves away from, you know, moping over Iron Fist. So the next Saturday, instead of driving around on my CB, I went to Hull Truck Youth Theatre, enrolled at Hull Truck Youth Theatre, and you'll never guess what happened. They were casting a new show that week and I got the lead role again. Wow. <laughs> well, that is a crazy story if I've ever heard one. Twice I walked into a room without knowing they were looking for the lead role and twice I walked in and they went, I just joined and I, I, it's, a, it's a play called Zigger Zagger. It's about football okay. hooligans. Uh, oh, and, okay. and there's a kind of, uh, Zigger Zagger is like a football chant. Zigger Zagger, Zigger Zagger, oi, oi, oi. Ah, okay. Yeah. And it's, a, it's about this lad called Ziggazagger, who's the football hooligan, and his best mate, Harry Filton, who's just like a normal guy who just wants to, you know, get on in life, very much like me. So he's perfect for the role. Uh, and I did that. I, so one Saturday, I'm going to have a fight with this random kid. The next Saturday, I go with that same random kid and his brother, enroll at Hull Truck, get cast in the lead role, and then rehearse a play and do a play. Now, will you be selling bottled luck for the rest of us to buy? Because it sounds like <laughs> you seem to have some situations that are just pure, just circumstantial luck. And I definitely could use some of that. So if you have any extra, send it over here, please. It's, you know what? it's, it's I... the tea, Juliana. It's the tea. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll sip the tea too. I don't care. I, I'm so glad you said that because it's not even the tip of the iceberg of the weird stuff that goes on around me. I do. I, I, I <laughs> on some quantum level... I have some kind of field that affects time and space <laughs> and reality. <laughs> uh, seriously. Well, no wonder you're a Death Eater and a wizard. A few things. Have, I mean, this is going back and looking at my childhood and seeing it kind of from, from above and seeing, seeing the connections that you don't see when you're in it. And now I look mm. back and I'm like, the chances of that, the chances of that, the chances of that, it's just astronomical every step of the way for everything to be lined up. But it, it kind of goes on and gets weirder and weirder. I feel like the universe is getting a lot of entertainment value out of me. I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. It sounds like someone somewhere 
in the universe is just oh, like, aha, yeah. this is a fun show I like to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like to play. Okay, so now that we have more of your backstory as kind of how you got into acting on the whole, we would also like to know how you got into Harry Potter. If, if it's something that you were into before you were cast in the movies, or if it was something that just kind of like happened upon you and all of a sudden you were attempting to murder people on a train. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> definitely the latter. Obviously, I was very aware of Harry Potter. It had been, okay. been a phenomenon. I was living in London when, when the books came out. And, you know, the, the root, the joke was mm-hmm. that you could catch adults on the tube hiding the Harry Potter book inside a, a more worthy book. But they were reading Harry wow. Potter. So that was, I remember, being, you know, on the news, it was all about that. But again, weirdly the universe i had quite a big harry potter foreshadowing so i'd already been involved in harry potter things i'd already been a wizard okay it was one of my other jobs as being an actor it's a very precarious industry especially when you first start well back in the story of my life somewhere along the way around 18 again this is the universe i accidentally against my will and in spite of much protestation became a professional party dj djing then supported me all the way through drama school and pretty much through the first 20 years of my career someone was looking out for me so and through the djing i ended up doing general corporate entertainment you know entertainment for companies mm-hmm. stupid acts decadent entertainment statue artists jugglers yeah, function Christmas bands parties and stuff all of that yeah so it's a really lucrative industry so i was a high-end five-star hotel dj wow yeah Fancy. yeah my friend was a dj so i just copied him i just did what he did i just i pretended to be neil <laughs> i'm an actor so i just i just played the role of another dj and then i was quite good it's easy <laughs> fake it till you make it right fake literally 20 years as a dj faking it till i make it <laughs> so um the company that i did djing for found out I was an actor and they started offering me other work, character work. And they found out I could write as well. So they started asking me to write scripts, corporate scripts. And I, I, I like writing. It's a good challenge and I was getting paid for it. But I think the first thing I did for Harry Potter was for one of the, you know, I don't know if you over here, uh, when the books went on sale, the bookstores would open at midnight mm-hmm. and you'd have thousands of people waiting outside the bookstore all night and there'd be a party. So I got booked to be a wizard mm-hmm. outside a major Waterstones booksellers in Canary Wharf to help entertain the crowd. So the very first thing I did was I was a wizard and I was helping entertain the crowd. So I I did that for Harry Potter. Then I was booked at another party. I was booked to play Snape. So I was given a costume and makeup and made to look like Snape and... I have to do my my Harry Potter. Do you have pictures of that? I don't think I do actually, because this is pre-digital. Oh. So oh, that would be pretty fun if you did. I know. I I I, I do have a load of photos because I I also missed out in my childhood story somewhere along the way. Just before I went to drama school, I taught myself to be a photographer and had a dark room and was doing dark room developing and printing as well um there's nothing you haven't done <laughs> no i i like to teach myself things i'm very good at teaching myself things so when i decide i yeah. want to do something i just teach myself it and then i do it but then the biggest harry potter thing i did was an american billionaire was having i think it was his birthday and it was halloween to celebrate his birthday he was coming over to the uk with a load of his friends and family and they hired a castle they hired skibu castle which is where madonna got married so it's a big wow. old castle so he hired the whole castle for a weekend and on the friday they themed it for halloween like professional film theming for halloween and then overnight they took all the halloween stuff away and they transformed it into diagon alley and hogwarts And then I was booked to play Snape again and do a potions class. But I was also booked or hired to write a play that this billionaire and his kids could be in. 
and they'd play all the characters of Harry Potter or Barry Potter, as I called it. <laughs> so they also wanted a treasure hunt around the castle. I designed treasure hunts, so I was doing that as well. So I ended up writing this play, this 30-minute play, and I, I built the treasure hunt into it. So I decided, you know, it'd be a good thing that they have to... The treasure hunt was a spell that had been broken into like 12 parts and scattered around the hotel, scattered around the castle. When they got to the point in the play where they realised there was a spell to kill Voldemort, get all the spells, bring them back together, and then all the answers made like a spell that I'd made up, uh, mm-hmm. and, then the, and then the rest of the play finished. So I did all of that and way before I got the audition. So when I got the audition, it felt really right. When my agent rang me and said, oh, John, you've got an audition for Harry Potter. <laughs> she actually said to me, John, sit down. Sit, what? Sit down. <laughs> you've got an audition for Harry Potter. And I think she thought I was going to freak out. But weirdly, because I'd had all this foreshadowing, I just kind of went, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, of course I do. <laughs> I've done this before. Yeah, it kind of wasn't a big shock. It was like, oh, okay. Uh, my first audition was with, uh, oh, I've forgotten the casting director's name. That's so annoying. Lovely casting director. And it was really low key. She just said, we're not going to make you act or anything. We just want you to think of another evil part you've played. And when you come for the audition, we just want you to tell us about another evil character you've played. So the audition was really easy. I had a cup of tea and I told her about a time in a film when I played. So it's quite an evil character, a murdering cannibal who's been brought back to life and sent back through time to to wreak revenge. Mm So I told her about that. And then I forgot all about it. I genuinely forgot all about it. And I didn't hear anything for two months. Because of the foreshadowing and because of the lovely audition, I just never really had that usual thing that you get with auditions, especially for big mm-hmm. things where you're just driven insane. And about two months later, my mum was visiting. Uh, she'd come down to London from Yorkshire. And I was out with her and my wife. And we'd gone into a thrift shop. Mm-hmm. And my phone rang and it was my agent. So I said, oh, I'll just take it outside. That's the last time they saw me, not as a Harry Potter actor. Because when I when I stepped outside, <laughs> my agent said, you've got the part, John. You're going to be a Death Eater. They don't know which one yet, but you're going to be a Death Eater. We'll be in touch. When I stepped back into that store, I was a Harry Potter actor. A changed man. <laughs> my brain passes it very weirdly. That I really think that moment that I stepped out of that thrift store was the last time my wife and my... <laughs> Like my mum spoke to me as a non-Harry Potter actor and they didn't know when I came back in, I was. Uh, And then my next audition was with David Yates himself. I was, they sent a car. This was where it started getting real. You know, they're sending a car for me to take me to Mm -hmm. Houston Studios to meet David Yates and he's going to audition me. It's just, I mean, so cool. even now it just seems surreal that I did that. And he was amazing. He was, he was like a lovely bank manager. He had a big old wooden desk and he was just, you know, he came out from the desk. John, John, lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for coming in, (laughs) which is just so lovely, but unnecessary. You sent a car for me, mate. You want me to be in your movie. (laughs) Of course I came in, David. But, you know, he, thank you for coming in. That unnecessarily gracious is lovely, isn't it? Let's all be unnecessarily gracious from now on. Yeah, I can stand behind that. And in the in the green room before I went in, there was me and one other actor and he was bald. So I was thinking they want all the hair or none of the hair. There's nothing in between. There's no gray here. <laughs> this Death Eater is either bald or he's super hairy. We know what we want. This or that. And I was like, well, you know, that's great because it's not personal. And the, and I, it, it's just, it was just, I'm going to show you. It's the greatest moment. So I'm just going to. So he starts describing no. me about the train stopping scene and saying, you know, John said there's this amazing scene where Hogwarts Express is hurtling along and a, a Death Eater lands on the track and just raises his arm dramatically and the train screeches to a halt. And of course, in my head, I'm just going, 
What? <laughs> that could be me. <laughs> Are you? Is this real? <laughs> he then, and this is when it gets, this is one of the best moments in my life, I think. Oh, wow. Apart from the moment where Steve said to me, John, this is my brother. He's been to a whole <laughs> truck youth theatre. And my world changed. This is the next <laughs> one. <laughs> he says, right, so John, if you'd like to stand there, John. Yeah, so you're me. You guys are me, yeah? So you've got to do the move, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm the train coming towards you. So just get nice and balanced, nice and powerful stance. That's right. And then on action, I just want you to slowly raise your arm. Not too tense, just slowly raise your arm. Okay, you ready? So that that was him, but I'm I'm now David Yates talking to you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? And action. Oh, oh, he yeah. does the classic movie thing. Ah. Oh wow. <laughs> David Yates did this to me in his studio. Oh yes. Oh yes, yes, that's fantastic. Yes, yes. Can you imagine that? So he made it for our listeners. He did the typical frame with the fingers and looking through finger uh, frame to pushing. see the picture in his. <laughs> I didn't even know people actually really did that in no. movie right. making. Right. I, I thought mean, that was just something people who make cartoon characters of directors did. No, I think if you're old school, it really does help. You know, it's about it's about isolation and separation and and seeing the the picture within the picture. So you know, and it's it, it's a really cheap, easy, hassle free way of doing it. So it is actually quite useful. Yeah. So you kind of yeah, you, you have to close sure. one eye to get rid of the, the stereoscopic overlap. And you can just get an idea mm. of what something will look like framed. Because framing affects how we perceive the object framed. Oh, we look lovely framed. <laughs> so it is, a, it is a genuine thing. It is a true cliche, as in it's real. That's why it's a cliche. But my mind was blown. Mm. I mean, I, I was having trouble holding it together at that point. You know, I really wanted to just say to him, oh, I, can't even, I can't even say what I wanted to say. But I was, I, my mind was literally blown in that moment when David Yates was going, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> then he said, there's a slim chance we may film you from behind. So then he did it again over my shoulder. So then I turned away from him to, to, to do the arm and, and he did it that way. But anyway, needless to say, it was a very lovely meeting. And I assume he did the same with the bald guy as well. You know, I'm sure he got the same treatment. But he liked the hair and he, he, he liked the little beard. And then I, I think it was probably about a week when I was confirmed, yes, you are going to be the Death Eater that stops the train. And I think they were casting about 17 Death Eaters altogether. But none of the others, as far as I'm aware, have a scene. They're all in... Mm, more in the background. Yeah, yeah crowd scenes. A lot yeah. of them are in the battle scenes. Mm. And then while we were filming, they were doing script revisions on Deathly Hallows 2. Because, you know, they shot them back to back, like one big movie. Yeah. One mm. big mm-hmm. $500 million movie. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I came in one day. Um, what was I filming? It might have been the on the train scene because the, the train stopping scene was which was my first day the first thing they got me to do nervous don't know the ropes what should we get him to do stand on the train track and stop a moving train obviously that's what you do on the first day <laughs> very intimidating for a first day just normal run-of-the-mill kind of stuff i always say to people don't moan to me about your first day I'm not gonna ride with me <laughs> Next time you're starting a new job and you think you've had a bad first day, ask yourself some questions. Did they stand you on a train track in the rain? No. Did they drive a train at you? No. So there was an actual train really coming towards you. Yeah. It was not just later added it in. It really came towards you. Yep. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, they took me, a hundred crew, and a train to Scotland for two days. So yeah, so oh your your first day, don't mind to me about first days, matey. And my first day was filmed <laughs> and shown in cinemas around the world. 
Uh, so there you go. I think I think that's it. I think that's the end of that answer. It's so cool too because you made the point where you're one of the few Death Eaters who like actually gets like a moment, and you're mo- like people they don't really. Some people may or may not know like exactly who you are, but anyone who's a Harry Potter fan like they know that scene. Yeah, definitely. They, and they've seen that. They've seen that poster. They've seen that trailer. You were in like every trailer. I was in the trailers. I mean, wow! Talk about mind blowing. So after I'd been cast, I think I think there were seventeen trailers for the first film, and I was in at least ten of them. And if you think about that, it makes no sense. Yeah. Again, universe, universe, sprinkling magic powder on mm-hmm. me. <laughs> because I joked with my wife. I said to her one night, I said, <laughs> can you imagine if like through some random mistake or, you know, just like glitch in the matrix of the universe, I ended up in the trailer. Um, uh, and we were like, <laughs> be so, be so funny because they're just like never going to happen. And then, you know, about eight months later, my phone suddenly starts beeping, you know, all channels, incoming messages, and people are saying, oh my God, I've just seen you in the Harry Potter trailer. So I start, start going online, Googling the trailers, and oh my God, I'm in the Harry Potter trailer. Yeah, you're like the opening scene for like most of the trailers. It makes no sense at all, because every one of those trailers went through several meetings, the important people saying, right, you know, what are we going to keep in? I mean, mm. you've, got a, you've got a two-hour movie, you want your best bits for your 30-second and a lot of people, for some reason, thought me raising my arm was worthy of staying in. Well, it is a very dramatic scene. And, and as you can tell, you can ask any Harry Potter fan, they will all know exactly this yeah. scene. And, and it's yeah. just so impactful how you're standing there with the lighting and all of that and the train coming towards you and you're just doing this simple move and how how much power you are basically showing by, Ooh, tingles, by doing this move. I am not surprised that you are in all these trailers. Oh, so. well, that's really lovely. I, I have a slightly skewed pers- pers- yeah. perspective on it, so it's good to get a perspective from someone outside of my head. Um, mm. I, I, so I've, ju- I've just recently signed up for another, you know, Cameo, Cameo, the, the video messaging service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an, another really good one called Memo. I just signed up for them and mm-hmm. I was chatting to them the, the other day and I, and I said exactly the same as what you've just said. Every single Harry, because I was kind of pitching myself to them a little bit, but this is true. So yeah. that's why I said, I said, every single Harry Potter fan knows a Death Eater to stop the Hogwarts Express. It's an iconic moment in that film. Anyone who's watched it a couple of times is going to know that moment. The only thing they don't know is who the actor was. And that's where I tell them. The minute I, <laughs> yeah. so, so there's all that kind of potential. I call it like, it's like potential celebrity and potential fame. They're like bubbles of my fame that haven't mm-hmm. been popped yet. And when I and the bubble of, of potential fame is there and it just needs me to go, hi, I'm John Campling. I stopped the Hogwarts Express. Boom. And I release a little bubble of fame with that person because <laughs> they go, oh, my God, you're the guy. So I quite like yeah. having the fame bubbled up for me to release when I want mm-hmm. rather than all released at once. Yeah. And I think looking back. I think I needed to have those 20 years as a kind of struggling actor to really find myself and have challenges and really have to dig deep and see what I was made of and keep myself in the industry. You know, it's you've always got to remember with with actors who aren't working regularly, well, with all creators, not just actors, with all creatives, just staying in the game is worthy of applause Mm -hmm. because we're just being pushed out Mm -hmm. all the time. Pressures are just pushing us out. You know, it's passive staying in the game, not even getting work, not even getting committed, just staying in the game takes an active momentum you've got to make that happen because you're just being pushed all the time yeah mm. yeah us creators yeah Huzzah! <laughs> <laughs> okay so. 
I think I'd love to hear just about your experience on the Harry Potter set and mm-hmm. like any kind of stories that are kind of along the lines of the David Gates finger framing thing where we would never hear them anywhere else and they're just <laughs> hot takes that you can give us and cool experiences that you had as part of that. I might give you a multiple choice then. So there's one story that I rarely tell. Okay, that might be the one we want then. <laughs> Which, But this will be a good place to tell it. I rarely tell it because it's, it's a little bit personal, but it's... It's, it's just another example mm-hmm. of how unbelievably random my life is. <laughs> my first day on Harry Potter, the day I stopped the train. Mm-hmm. The week before I was shooting on another movie, I was playing that character. I was playing Diggs. That was why I showed you it. So I was playing this character in a horror film. Mm-hmm. This was my first film. I'd been a theatre actor and this was my first film. And I was filming it the week before Harry Potter. And there was a slight clash. So Warner Brothers wanted me to fly up to Scotland on the Friday at like two in the afternoon, but I was filming till five. So Warner Brothers were really lovely and they said, oh no, it's okay, we'll change his flight and we'll we'll send a car to the set. And they, they were waiting on the set of this movie. Imagine this, I'm on this movie and when I wrapped the buzzer on the set was, oh my God, John Campling's been wrapped and there's a car from Harry Potter waiting to take him to the airport. Yes, we live for those days. <laughs> when everyone knows there's a car from Harry Potter waiting to take you to the airport, those are the good days. So this, <laughs> car, this car takes you to the airport, flies me to Scotland, and then another car drives me for hours through Scotland and I finally get to this little hotel. I haven't been thinking about Harry Potter for a week because I was on this other film. So it would have been very remiss of me to be indulging in my Harry Potter fantasies while I'm on this film. So I hadn't really thought about Harry Potter until this moment. And now I'm suddenly heading to Scotland. I don't know what to expect. They haven't told me what I'm doing. I don't really know what I'm doing. So they sent me the script. I've got the full script for both the last movies. Even though I don't have a word of dialogue, they sent me all the scripts. So I've got the full Deathly Hallows 1, Deathly Hallows 2 script. <gasps> one day auction. But Ooh. in my scene, it just says, like scene 180, daytime. We see the Hogwarts Express stopped. That's all it says in the entire script. I'm not mentioned. It just says we see the Hogwarts Express stopped. So I don't know what I'm doing. We get to the hotel about one o'clock. One production person has waited up to meet me. So me arriving on the Harry Potter set was a little hotel in Scotland and one person going, hi, John, did you have a good flight? Anyway, uh, we'll see you at breakfast tomorrow. If you can get into costume in your room, your costume's in your room, get into costume then come down for breakfast in costume uh, and then we'll be, we'll be catching the train. When they say the train, they mean the Hogwarts Express. We'll be catching the train to get to the location at 7 a.m. Yeah, to get to our location, which was on a train track in the middle of Scotland. There was only one way to get to a train track in the middle of Scotland and that's on a train and we had one the Hogwarts Express in the morning so I'm like hey this is great this is a low-key arrival this is good I go to my hotel room and sure enough there's all my costume hung up my Death Eater costume and then some other bits and bobs I get a good night's sleep as much I can and I wake up the next morning and the next morning I wake up and it's my first freaking day on Harry Potter I am beside myself with so many emotions can you imagine what that was like as you should be. I've just wrapped on this other movie and now I'm waking up this morning. I'm filming on Harry Potter today. I mean, I, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what to think. It's just insane. So then I start putting the costume on. I aim to please. I'm up early. I'm all ready. Going to go down, make an entrance, you know, meet the other actors. I didn't know. I thought there was other actors in the scene, so I wasn't sure. So then I start putting the costume on and there's, there's a few bits that I don't understand. There's the costume and then there's like a rubber suit, a two-part latex flesh, pink flesh-colored suit, hmm. and then some thermals. So I think, ah, oh, right, brilliant. It's going to be raining. So put the waterproof layer on to stop your body getting wet and then the thermals on and, and then mm-hmm. the costumes. So I pull the pants on and they're a little bit sticky, a little bit rubbery. And I now look like an action man, a naked action man from the waist down. And then I start putting the top on 
and it's like 6.30 and I'm meant to be down at 7. So to put this latex waterproof top on, I put it on like a pullover. I put my arms in and I'll pull it down. But mm-hmm. when you put a pullover on, once your arms are in, you stretch the pullover down and you reach underneath and pull it down. Oh no. Yeah. You can't do that with latex. <laughs> Nothing. Now, at this point, my head is in the body. I can't see anything. It's like I've got a jumper on here. So I'm in the latex and my arms are in the latex. I don't really think anything of it for a second. And then I think, start again. And then I realise that I can't get it off. It's latex and it's sticking to my skin. And I've got no leverage because I can't can't bring my arms down. So suddenly I'm slightly stuck in my latex costume. I don't panic. I, 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 I am, if there's one thing you need to know about me, I am good in a crisis. I don't panic. I go into hyper-focus. So I'm cool about it. Mm-hmm. But then very quickly, my arms start to ache because I'm holding my arms up. So then my arms are really aching. So I have to lay on the bed to relax my arms. So now I'm like, I don't even have control of my physical position anymore because I can't keep my arms up. So my arms are aching. So then I'm, th- I'm thinking, okay, so all I can do is I can, I can just about grab the latex like that. But there's no leverage, is there? There's no leverage. I'm trying to pull, the, I'm trying to pull it off like with my fingers like that. I can't get it off and I can't get it any more on. So I come, I come to the realization I am stuck, in fact. So I stand up again. And the only way I can see, because, because, because I'm like this, the latex is here. The only way I can see is to do this. <laughs> He's look, leaning forward. Look out through the... Looking through the head oh, hole. looking through the head hole. Yeah. So, so my view of my hotel room is now through the latex head hole of my Harry Potter waterproof suit. And my arms are agony because I've got them stuck up the whole time. I'm starting to panic now because the stakes are so high because I'm thinking, oh, wow. Oh, oh, wow. Uh, you know, I've, over, over the weeks, I've, fant- I've fantasized many days about my first day on Harry Potter. And none of them started like this. No, none of them started like this. <laughs> they all started much better than this. This is not how you make an impression. And what... Uh. So I keep trying, but I keep getting fatigued. So, so the effort to try tires me out because my arms are up. And then I'm, I'm resourceful, right? Oh, okay. So I get my phone. I have got the phone number of the costume person or you know, I can get it, but I can only use my phone. So I've got my phone in my hand, but I can only see it through, the, through this. And I'm trying to use a phone <laughs> looking through latex and I just can't do it. I can't, I can't, and I can't use the phone well enough to, to, to dial. That was my plan A, ring someone, embarrass yourself with one person, ring the costume guy, get them to come and get you out of it. And then I can't do that. And then I'm suddenly remembering the last things they said to me, we're all having breakfast in the canteen. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I oh might no. have to go down to the canteen like this to ask for <laughs> freaking help. Oh my God, the entire Harry Potter second unit. A hundred crew are going to meet me as the <laughs> naked, weird, action man-bodied, headless freak who wandered down the corridor going, hello, can anyone help me? I'm stuck in my latex suit. I said to myself, no, no, no. No matter what it takes, that must never happen. That must never happen. Although in hindsight, I wish I had. Imagine that. I'd have been a legend, right? I'd be famous. I'd be a legend. I'd be the guy who did What a that. first impression that would have been. Imagine. Just, so I decided I could be 10 minutes late. Compared to that, 10 minutes late is nothing. So I've got like 20 minutes left. 
I laid on the bed and I, I relaxed. I, I got all the strength back in my arms and I realized I had one chance to using my fingers to prize this thing off me. And I thought I've, I've got to conserve my energy for like 15 minutes, just relax on the bed for 15 minutes. And then I've got one burst of energy. And if that doesn't do it, I am screwed. So I laid down, I relaxed, I got, got my arms comfortable. And then I managed, thank God, I managed to get hold of the latex above my head and somehow in one, just managed to get it to move and a bit more and I managed to get out of it and I've never been more grateful for, for whatever it was I can, my first day on Harry Potter my biggest day of my life and I was going to wander down in this naked from below with this flesh-colored latex on hi guys it would ah oh, still frightens me now. so now you have achieved your goal of revenge because for your information listeners I love when John plays on his stream Puff the Magic Dragon and it always <laughs> makes him cry because it's such a lovely and sad song now I am crying because of your story from laughing not from sadness but you got your revenge congratulations I mean <laughs> it only took my potential humiliation in front of the entire second unit <laughs> Uh, but the revenge is sweet. I mean, I quite like crying when you do Puff the Magic Dragon. It's quite nice to know that I can be emotional, but it's just weird that it triggers me so badly. So a very narrow escape there. And then I rang the costume guy and said, I need some help. And I was supposed to put the thermals on first and then you put the latex on because the latex will stick to your skin. <laughs> but hey, I, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. It's my, it's my first time wearing thermal, wearing latex. I'd never seen a latex suit before and they hadn't left instructions, but I came so close to having to literally embarrass myself. Remember that guy who came down here with his head stuck in his latex suit? <laughs> I mean, I suppose somewhere in, in another dimension, in another universe, there's a John Campling who's telling this story and he did go downstairs. And he's saying, you know, it was the best decision yeah. I ever made. You know, I got, you know, David Yates came and said hello later on that day. And, you know, J.K. Rowling rang me up and said, I'm really sorry the costume <laughs> didn't work. You know, there's another John Campling with a different story <laughs> who, who didn't have the ingenuity to rest his arms. So I don't tell that story very often. It's my most personal and my first thing that happened mm -hmm. on Harry Potter before I even got on set. And then the rest of the day was amazing. They, I got in costume and I, I went down in the morning and everyone said, wow, you look amazing. What a great Death Eater. And then I spent three hours on the Hogwarts Express traveling to the location, mm -hmm. thinking that it was real. Because I'm an actor traveling to my, to my job, but I'm traveling on the Hogwarts Express through Scotland and I'm dressed as a Death mm -hmm. Eater. So my actual life and my character life are literally just the same at this moment. It's very weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. You are John Campling the Death Eater. That's I am John Campling the Death that's Eater. That's who you are. <laughs> uh, our friend Sheila wanted me to make you tell us why you really stopped the Hogwarts Express because ah, many well. assume that you are searching for Harry. There's a terrible rumor going around. I think it was started by that Neville Longbottom. <laughs> no, he's not very trustworthy. Okay. A bit of a loser. <laughs> well, the way I tell the story is... From my Death Eater's point of view, I can never thank Neville enough. Thank you, Neville. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Voldemort thanks you. We all thank you, Neville. He gave me the diversion. So you've got to imagine the scenario. Voldemort knows that trouble's coming. Luna's father is publishing stories. You know, he's, he's on to Voldemort. It's not, you know, he's got to shut that paper down. How's he going to do it? Well, let's not mess about. Let's kidnap his daughter. That'll do it. That's leverage. So, bit of a nasty thing to do, though. Voldemort doesn't want to get his hands dirty with kidnapping Luna, so they decide to send in the Death Eater. The unnamed, dirty mm. tricks Death Eater. So I get called up. 
You know, <laughs> it's a need to know basis. Voldemort needs plausible deniability. That's why I don't have a name. This is my story. I'm sent in, you know, find Luna, kidnap her. Voldemort needs the leverage. So I do my research. I find out that Luna's going to be on the train traveling to Hogwarts on that day at that time. Easy. Stop the train. Just raise my arm. They stop. Down the carriage. Now. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal, right? It's just, you know, if you do notice, I do have my hand yeah. I have my hand ready on my wand. My plan was, and this was me as the actor on the day, I wanted a little bit of backstory, that if the train mm. didn't stop in time, I would whip the wand out and levioso the train. Oh, okay. If you, so if you look, I'm ready, like a cowboy. Mm-hmm. You, oh, yes. Can you, mm-hmm. can you see the wand? For our listeners, John is showing us the very famous picture of himself stopping the train. So if you're looking to find that picture... You can just probably Google Death Eater stopping train movie seven. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that will probably get you. To and I'm stopping the train with the right hand. We're looking at the left hand, which I held like a like a gunslinger. Like I've brushed my coat behind the gun and I got my hand out. I did that deliberately to look like a gunslinger because I'm like, <laughs> I'm not stupid. I think the train's going to stop when he sees a st- Death Eater. If he doesn't, just going to levitate the whole train. No problem. That actually triggered Stephen Wolfenden, me doing that to spend an hour filming that train stopping moment like a western filming from behind my hip mm-hmm. oh. somewhere there is footage of me of it pulling around my hip like a western i'm the bad guy trains the good guy and we're in a western mm-hmm. <laughs> so i stop the train callum stands up and gets in my face dread away i'll tell my dad okay as far as threats to a death eater go i'll tell my dad i can live with that i ignore him walking down the train neville stands up he's not here losers Oh, interesting, I'm thinking. Shall I kill him immediately? No, actually, there's no, there's no need. He's done us a big favour here. Everyone on this train now thinks I'm looking for Harry Potter, who's not on the train. So they think mm-hmm. I'm wasting my time. They think they can just let me go down the train because Harry Potter's not on the train. But I know Harry's not on the train. Why do I know that? Because I know everything. I've done my research and I'm not looking for Harry Potter. I've been sent to kidnap Luna Lovegood. <laughs> so it's going to be a whole lot easier. And that's why I just ignore Neville, walk down the train with everyone mocking me, thinking, yeah, good luck finding Harry Potter. I know, but Luna is, and I got Luna. Now, originally, Luna was actually in the carriage. When you watch the film, when you watch the clip again, there's a really quick shot of Jenny Weasley, I think. Just after Neville stands mm-hmm. up, it cuts to the reverse shot and you, you see what looks like Ginny Weasley. But in actual fact, mm-hmm. that was Luna Lovegood was sat there. Oh, I've forgotten the actress's name. My dyslexia does not like... Ivana Lynch. Ivana Lynch, there we go. Which sounds very much like a Harry Potter name, Ivana <laughs> Lynch. Um, <laughs> so Luna was actually sat there and they removed her digitally later on, which not many people know. Oh. So they changed their mind. I think they wanted mm-hmm. Luna to be there. I was supposed to kind of spot Luna, but walk past her with the idea being that I doubled back and kidnapped her. But I think later on in post, they decided to just remove her completely. But it's so subtle. Okay. What was meant to happen was later on in the movie, when you find out, Luna Lovegood has been kidnapped by Death Eaters. Everybody was meant to go, oh, the Death Eater on the train. But no one did because the Death Eater on the train was looking for Harry Potter, right? According to Neville. So mm-hmm. there's a slight disconnect between the plot they wanted people to get and the plot people did get. But it works well for me because I'm now on a one-man mission to go around the world correcting every Harry Potter fan's history of that scene. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy to do it. Well, now you know, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, happy times. Such, such fond, fond, fond memories. Uh, do you know I broke the Hogwarts Express during that scene? I actually broke the train during that scene. You what? No. <laughs> when you what? When you watch that scene again, the transition between me stopping the train 
which was really there, even though they never used a shot of us both. It was really there. As I raise my arm, there's, there's a thud and it cuts to me in the train. Well, that thud is me, the Death Eater, slamming open the door into the carriage to get everyone's attention. So David Yates said to me, you know, you know we're going to cut from you being on the track, John, stopping the train, to you getting on the train. You get on the train and then you open the carriage door at the end of the carriage and you slam it open to get everyone's attention. And that's where they edit and you hear that slam. So I slammed that door open on action every time. They say action. I would slam the door open. Callum stands up. My father will hear about this. And I look at him and I walk away. Then I walk down the train. He's not here, losers. Ignore him, move on. And on about the fifth, sixth take, maybe, maybe seventh or eighth, same as usual, action. I slam the door, but this time, instead of a lovely where the door stops with a thud, instead, the door doesn't stop. And I hear crunching and tearing oh, and no. ripping. And oh, no. <laughs> really bad noises, and the door keeps on going. However, rule number one of an actor on a film set, well, maybe not number one, but it's very high up. Don't stop until the director says, cut, you don't get to decide whether the shot's ruined. The director decides whether the shot's... Something unusual happens. You just carry on until you hear the director say cut. Unless you're in danger, obviously. Yeah. Although that happened, I just carried on. I walked out, you know, he, I didn't hear cut. So they're happy. So I carry on and I walk down the train and Neville gives me his line and I give him a look and I walk away. But on that particular take, for that entire walk down the train and the look at Neville, I wasn't thinking what I was normally thinking. I was thinking something else. I was thinking a swear repeatedly as I walked down that train. I was just, <laughs> I was just thinking, what's, what's, the rate, what's the rating of your stream? What can I say? What can't I say? I don't want to get you into trouble. Uh, you cannot curse. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need to apologize. I don't mind either this way. This has to be children friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I was saying, can I say poo? <laughs> yeah, I'll go for it. So I'm saying Poo 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 All the way down that carriage, that walk, all the way down, I'm just going poo poo. I've broken the Hogwarts Express. Poo poo poo. How much trouble am I in when they say cut? Poo poo poo. But I'm still acting. I'm still doing my look. Cut! In the time it takes me to turn around, the first AD, who is the actor's liaison, walks down the train and apologizes to me. John, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that happened. Uh, would you like to step off the train? We're just we're in a, we're on a carriage of the train in in the studio. Would you like mm. to step off the train? We've got a cup of tea for you. Just relax. We'll have it fixed in a jiffy. So I'm apologized to, stepped off the train, given a cup of tea. This is in like within one minute of cut. I then see two workmen, two tradesmen get on the train. I then hear about two minutes of... <laughs> I'm then approached again by the first AD. John, when you finish your cup of tea, take your time. We'll step you back on and we'll show you what we've done. It's not going to happen again. We're so sorry. I'm like, no, it's good. I'm, I'm good to go. They step me back on. They show me what they've done. And it's a sliding door on two sliders. And the thing that was stopping it from, the thing it was banging into was just the door handle hitting the cupboard. So there was a wooden cupboard. So it wasn't oh, a stopper. Okay. It was just mm -hmm. the door handle hitting the cupboard, which eventually had ripped off and smashed. But now they fitted top and bottom two wooden felt covered stoppers that you would be proud to have in your own home it was so good <laughs> oh wow the first ad got the door and went okay john bang 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 <laughs> it, it won't break again john as you were now <laughs> i like to think and we'll never know 
that the take they used of me walking down the Hogwarts Express was the one where Might I broke the door. One. And I'm just and I'm just going yeah. poo 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 poo. <laughs> You, you forever changed that scene for us now because yeah. now we are going to watch this and we are thinking, ah, John, poop, poop, poop. <laughs> he just broke the door. I'm not even embellishing. That is literally how it happened. The great thing is about all my Harry Potter oh, scenes, no. they're, they're all real. I don't even have to make anything up. In fact, I probably play it down more than mm-hmm. anything. So there you go. I just, I thought you might like that one. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Moving on to a little bit more general, um, we know that next to being a Death Eater, you have also been playing the very famous King Regis from the Final Fantasy universe. Maybe you can tell us a bit about your work on playing a CGI character and doing motion capture. Is that difficult? Was that easier than you expected? Yeah, that's really cool. I kind of try to measure my expectations going into anything that's unknown, try not to have any preconceived ideas, although you, your brain is always reaching for parallels to try and give you a starting point. So it's tricky to try and be unbiased and have no opinion when you're, you need a framework and you tend to look at similar things. So I went in there thinking, this is film acting, so as opposed to theatre acting. The, the main difference kind of being that when you're, when you're acting on stage, the whole world exists and there's nothing in between, there's no cameras, there's nothing in the way, there's the set and the actors and it, it's a 3D world that you're acting in and you do the whole play all the way through whereas on film you build a little bit of the world depending on the camera angle and you do a little bit of it and then you stop and then you move all the stuff and Mm. you recreate another bit of the world so you switch between those two ways of working as an actor because obviously that affects how you work as an actor and going into what was a film for Kingsglaive I went in with a film actor's mindset and within the first sort of half a day I very quickly realized that I needed to bring in quite a bit of theater think as an actor because there is no camera there are no lights there's no reverse shots the entire world exists like on a stage because you know Mm. we shoot in the volume they call the the space that you shoot shoots the wrong word the the space that you create motion capture data in is called the volume it's a 3d volume so i very quickly had to readjust as i went along now luckily i'm quite good at doing that i'm quite good at i've got good feedback loops and the first thing my brain said was whoa 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 stop thinking film abandon that approach that doesn't work at all the final product is filmic and is film Mm -hmm. but the process of making it is far more akin to theater and once you learn to accommodate the unusual costume you're wearing and the limitations of having the helmet on and the the helmet camera kind of fell into place quite quick i feel like i took to motion capture like a duck to water i was like wow partly because i love acting and i love technology and motion capture acting (laughs) is just acting within a bubble of technology to me it was a little bit like it was the nearest thing to becoming part of the machine as a motion capture actor you are in many ways an element of the computer you are a node of the computer multiple nodes like do you remember the film tron Mm-hmm. where the guy goes into the computer yep. so it's a bit like the nearest, the nearest to me being in Tron being in the volume being a mocap actor you are mm. you know it's. I mean really mocap acting is data input yeah. of a character over time as an actor you are just a very efficient data input method aren't you they want to take all these data points of a, of a character's arms legs face and they want to move it over time so they get an actor to do it mm-hmm. in the corner of the room there's like a little nasa setup multiple techies with monitors handling gigabits of telemetry that's coming from your suit and from your face so and i love all that oh my god i love sci-fi <laughs> i love tech i love sci-fi tech i love actual mm-hmm. tech 
So it was a dream job in terms of I'm acting, which I love, and I'm part of a very cutting edge tech system. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I was very happy. Yeah. (laughs) Shortly before we started recording, you have been streaming and I asked our friends there to ask some questions. So we had Good and Gone. I unfortunately don't know their first name, so we have to go by the username here. They wanted to know what the hardest part was about the motion capture acting. And uh, I just add here that Sheila assumed it was that you had to shave off your beard, which is mighty. And we love your beard. And (laughs) we can see in the picture she shared you in the motion capture suit and all that your (laughs) beard was actually shaven off. So very strange look for us because we only mostly know you with your beard. And look how long it is. It's... (laughs) long is the beard yeah oh oh wow it's a lot longer than i thought it was <laughs> i lived the life of a short bearded man get some good beard oil for that yeah i have several beard oils so i don't i mean this is great for casting mm-hmm. and you can play interesting characters with a beard like this crazy characters but you know in my everyday life it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not the look i favor so i tend to keep it pinned up and no one no yeah. one even knows i'm pinning it up so once i discovered the transparent clip just hiding it away uh, i was able to uh, <laughs> let my beard grow and uh, which it's the same trick I've done. I've done that with my hair for years. I, I live the life of a short haired man, but I have long hair. Um, yeah, it was a weird thing, actually. So at no point when they were auditioning me, did they mention clean shaven? And they had spent a long time scouring the world of casting to find an actor with the, the right face. I mean, I was cast primarily because I, I had the they had an artist impression of how they wanted Regis to look and they were trying to find an actor who matched it, which is really weird for me because they'd come up with this idea of a perfect face for a handsome, <laughs> benevolent, lovely king. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to find an actor with that face. And it's very weird to be the actor that they found and said, oh my God, you're, you've got the face that we wanted. It's the perfect face for a handsome, benevolent, stoic, <laughs> kind king. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's my face then, right? That's what my face looks like. <laughs> okay, weird. So, so, but the, and part of that was the beard. Plus, King Regis is tall and slim, so they wanted the right physique as well. The thing about mocap is, any given character created through mocap can be a composite of several actors. One actor for the voice, one actor for the motion capture, another actor for the face. Mm-hmm. So you can build the perfect character from the best bits of several actors. Now, in my case originally they thought they had the whole package so they were like he's got the face but he's also the right build he's a good actor so he can do the acting and they were happy for me to do the voice as well so i was going to be the whole of king regis and then obviously later on there were pressures from the distribution company not pressures it was the right it was the right thing to do to put some bigger named actors in uh, and the only way they could do that was to replace some voices with bigger named actors so sean bean was brought in to revoice king regis which i love i love the fact that me and bean connected i was beanified um <laughs> yeah at no point during this process did they ever mention shaving for the mocap mm-hmm. so we love your beard you've got perfect beard king regis so then and i was between agents so i was doing the negotiation myself i negotiated my own contracts but their lawyer was very good he helped me out their lawyer was very fair and yeah one day they suddenly said you know uh, oh you know you will have to shave your beard off so i, I took some advice and i got back and said well you know you've never mentioned that before so you know, that will be chargeable um, because it's, you know, my entire, all of my PR is based around being a bearded actor. So, and they were like, it's fine. That's fine. You know, give us a number. And people were saying, well, you really have to look at, you know, how long does it take you to grow your beard back? How much work might you lose? 
So I came up with a number and said, you know, to shave my beard, it will cost this. And they came back with a counter offer, which I accepted. However, I assumed I was only going to have to shave once and then we'd shoot and then I'd be fine. But it turned out the filming was broken up. So they had to get me to shave four times. Oh, oh <laughs> God. they had to pay me four <gasps> times. Oh, my God. Oh, well, that's good that you worked that out then. Yeah, it, it was the craziest thing, being paid to shave my beard. Yeah. It would take me like 50, 15 minutes to shave my beard and I was being paid x amount so i remember doing the calculation about how much per minute and all the all the silly stuff you do when you're you're <laughs> mm-hmm. not used to being paid good money for doing stupid things yeah and i would really enjoy those 15 minutes i, I think one time you know i had a glass of wine and i had music on <laughs> while i was shaving yeah. my beard because I, I was being well paid to shave my beard yeah. so i felt i should take it very seriously <laughs> embrace the moment i'm being paid that's one of those odd things you would not think about i mean no i i would never assume no <laughs> The same as, you know, when I was when I was asked to, to, to do the motion capture for Arden Azunia as well, I was already on set doing All right, King yeah. Regis when I was I was taken to one side and asked if I would take on the mocap for Arden Azunia. Yeah. So, they were, you know, they were, they were super reasonable. You know, so some days when I mocapped Arden and, and mocapped Regis, it was uh, they were good days. That sounds great. I had a whale of a time. I loved it. You know, I didn't like being clean shaven. I think I'd had a beard solidly for about four years at that point. My own residual self-image had updated to be me with a beard. So when I saw myself without a beard, I looked really weird. Which is really odd, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It changes a face a lot. Yeah, it does. My mum was like, oh no, I don't like you without a beard. What? That's that's my face, mother. It just shows how we we get reprogrammed to expect a certain visual thing. And when we see something different, Mm -hmm. our brain goes, wrong, Mm -hmm. wrong. So you said that this is one of like your favorite roles that you played. Do you have like a dream role that you would want to play, whether it be motion capture, whether it be theater, whether it be movies that you're like, that's the one role I would love to play? I mean, not a role that's already been done. I'm, I never really think about, you know, mm. I could play that role. But I suppose for ideal roles for me, I'm, I'm really hoping the universe, hello universe, remember me. <laughs> it listens. A role that I'd be good at, I think, would be... I mean, it's a little bit Indiana Jones, I suppose. But, you know, a character that starts off being a little bit uh, an educational type guy, you know, tweed suit, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a a ponytail, glasses, very unassuming academic type. Mm -hmm. A smart guy. Yes. You know, and someone who doesn't look very suited to adventure and, you know, uh, being an action character. And then through the film, as it develops, has to take on the role, like Indiana Jones, I suppose, of the Mm -hmm. action hero. Because I'm, you know, I'm very physical and I'm very fit. And once my hair's down, the change in perception of what I look like from hair up, glasses on, neat beard, tweed suit to hair down, T-shirt, sweaty. You know, I I look really good in both of those situations. You know, like I can be a mercenary, you know, I can look like I make a pretty good badass mercenary. But I also (laughs) make a very good studious lecturer. So a storyline that took a character from one of those roles to the other, I think, mm-hmm. would make the most of my appearance and my acting skills. And, and it would be a, an adventure movie, of course. Maybe sci-fi. Sci-fi is the genre I'd like mm. to do more mm-hmm. of, but I, 
So, but other other than that, I'm always happy to be surprised. An interesting point that I, I want to mention before I forget, because it ties into the whole spooky camping thing. I only realized last year, or maybe the year before, another trick the universe has played on me in a nice way. When you look oh, at my, my two main roles, my, my Death Eater, yeah, well, I like the universe. I like all the little tricks it plays. I, I like that it bothers to bother with me and pay attention to me, <laughs> mess with yeah. me. You know? I mean, that's more than some people get. You know, I've got 100 IMDb credits, but well, I'm well known for two of them, Harry Potter, Final Fantasy. They are my spikes. But it's interesting that of all the films and game franchises and all the roles I could have played, I ended up playing these two because my Death Eater is a wizard who looks pretty cool in a funky black outfit. And he's very evil and he kidnaps a character called Luna. King Regis is a wizard who looks pretty cool in a funky black outfit. <laughs> but he's really good. Yeah. And he protects a character called Luna. And to me, that is just... Uh, yeah, that's a weird universe messing around with you, making things align that necessarily in most people's lives wouldn't. But here we are. This is reality and it's lovely. The, the chances that I would hit of all the random things that could happen, I end up being mm -hmm. that Death Eater in Harry Potter. And then my career bounces on and then I end up being that wizard in that. And the fact that they mm -hmm. both revolve around a character called Luna. You know, that really popular name for a character, Luna. How many lunas do you know in film, TV, Peter? I mean, I don't think I'm in charge. I don't think I'm in charge of anything. <laughs> nope, nope. It, it sounds like you're happy to just kind of do whatever the universe puts in your lap in that moment. And you're very versatile hey. and able to adapt. So <laughs> Many years ago, a fortune teller said it was all, yeah, a fortune yeah. teller said it was all going to be okay. So I'll chill. Yeah. So if you could still tell us what kind of projects are you working on right now and what is coming up, what can we look forward to? And of course, maybe quickly mention also your Twitch still, because you are a very talented person who does a lot of things on Twitch. Thank you, Mel. Um, so pretty quiet at the moment. You know, I, I don't really push myself, partly because I rely on the university to make stuff happen. <laughs> I don't like forcing it. I very much like to feel things are organic and it's a weird way of running your life but I've got quite good at it and I'm very relaxed about being unemployed and you know downtime I'm not a desperate actor I think as a creator if you're desperate you will make less than perfect decisions and accept engagements that you probably wouldn't if you weren't so desperate so I try to avoid being desperate so I I kind of sit and wait you know I keep auditioning you know my agent gets me auditions and obviously COVID has thrown everything into disarray so yeah. I've kind of taken my foot off the accelerator of the acting, really, because the whole industry has gone berserk. And I'm, I'm a niche cast anyway. I need certain things to happen before I can get work. I need a writer to say, hmm, new character, Fred. Fred enters. Fred is 50, tall, <laughs> ooh, long hair, beard, intense. Until a writer writes something like that, I've got no chance of getting work. So somewhere, somewhere, writers have to decide to make characters look like i look and that mm -hmm. doesn't happen as much as i'd like because i have that kind of whole kind of universal view of everything everything's connected i don't worry too much so at the moment i've got i've had a few auditions i've done i'm waiting to hear on two auditions at the moment uh, i've just been approached by a really good friend of mine who's an actor who's written a short film and i've just accepted a, a lovely part in his short film it's his first film oh wow uh, he did a lot of musical theater yeah it's real and i love working with friends you know so it's just a little low budget short it's a sci-fi comedy uh, Ooh, and it's a beautiful okay. script and I was really excited to be approached and just offered the role you know that mm -hmm. I don't like auditioning I don't I don't like the game really you know I think with someone like me I tend to think 
it's easy to see whether I'll be right for your film because look at my show reel. I've got loads of footage. I'm not a mystery. You, you can <laughs> see what I look like, what I sound like, how I act. If I'm going to be right for your film, offer me a role. That'd be lovely. My main focus at the moment is my self-betterment and exploring this weird gift I seem to have stumbled upon to teach myself pretty much anything. So I've been on Twitch for two and a half years and the first two years I spent on Twitch Sings dedicated to teaching myself to sing because it's always been a, a real source of sadness, annoyance to me that I was not born with any type of musical ability at all. So I spent two years on Twitch Sings teaching myself to sing in public, weaponizing mistakes. We, we tend to see mistakes as a bad thing and failure as a bad thing. And, and I kind of had an epiphany and realized that I started learning to skateboard. And by watching skateboarders, I realized that the failure is the moment where you learn. Mm -hmm. If you're not failing, you're not pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone. Now, in performance, that's a different thing. In performance, you should be within your comfort zone and performing. But when you're not performing, if you're learning and practicing, you should always be outside your comfort zone and getting it wrong and learning. Mm -hmm. So... I did that and then for the last six months obviously I've been teaching myself to play guitar and I do five hours a day on that so that pretty much takes up most of my days now and it doesn't really involve any repetition so I don't spend hours playing the same thing or you know trying to do a riff I don't do any of that mm. it's a mu it's much more fun that would drive my wife insane so that's <laughs> partly why I don't do that uh, but it would drive me insane as well that that the avoidance of wanting to do hours and hours of playing the same thing to get bit good at it is the reason I never learned to play guitar for 30 years. Mm. And it's only now that I've discovered a way of getting around all of that. Yeah. So I'm not in too much of a hurry for an external project to scoop me up and take me away. And if it happens, it happens. But I'm kind of quite safe in my little bubble of John's world, streaming every day, teaching myself guitar, still teaching myself to sing. And I plan to relaunch myself in some small way as a singing guitar playing actor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you can sing and play guitar, that's a standalone thing that you can take out. Oh, yeah. You would look great as a rock star on a stage as well, I think. This mm. is a weird thing. I do feel like the training myself to play guitar and sing is really just aligning my skill base with my visual mm -hmm look anyway I'm just fulfilling the look aren't I? I, yes. I I look like I should be able to play guitar and sing like yes. a rock star I didn't develop this look to be a rock star although I have played rock stars but now that I'm becoming a guitarist singer and I am going for that rock voice very high and very you know either very high and sweet or very high and raspy it would be handy if I looked like a rock star wouldn't it oh wait a minute <laughs> I, I do so yeah yeah <laughs> Okie dokie. So our game is called Are You Puffing Kidding Me? Yes, I know a pun. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. We're each going to tell each other, the group, a statement, and it's either true or false. And then each person who is not giving a statement gets to ask one question of the person giving the statement. And then we will vote and see if we think that person is lying or not. And then if you are <sighs> correct, you earn points for the guests, John. And right now the guests are winning. I am in second and Mel is in third. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would highly appreciate if you don't get any points. <laughs> so I've got to, I've got to either think of something that I've done that no one knows I've done and might not believe it or make up something that I might mm -hmm. have done oh. yep mm -hmm. I feel like you shouldn't have a hard time with this <laughs> well no I, I'm a terrible overthinker so I'm I'm already thinking I refer you to my first statement I'm very bad with choices <laughs> so 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 I'm just trying to how long, how long how much thinking time have I got if you need a moment we can already start with one of us yes yes you get you guys go first okay well I think 
Okay. You want to go first, Mel? Sure. So my statement this week is that despite my fear of heights, I actually climbed the highest mountain in Austria. That's so good. Who did you climb it with? My best friend, Julia, who is from Austria. What do you think, John? Do you think she's lying? Then do I get to ask ask a question? Oh, yes. Go ahead. Do you have any photos? (laughs) 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 You you can disqualify that question. That's a... (laughs) That, that might be a cheating question. I think that's a cheating question. Yeah, it doesn't help you though. No, I know, but I think that's you, you could say that's you, you could say that to almost anything anyone says, couldn't you? Have you got a photo? So I, I won't ask yeah. that question. Sorry. Okay, I, I give you a second chance. My analytical brain was just you know defaulted to that as like, how to crack this case. Yeah. No, it's a good question. Um, how long did it take? Ooh, that's a good question. Ooh, I think it took about with breaks in between because I have to say I'm not used to climbing mountains, so I am quite slow. But I think we climbed about four hours in total, something like that. Okay, good answer. Mm-hmm. This is the highest mountain in Austria. Yes. And you got to the top? Yeah, to the, like, what is still safe, you know. And it was four hours one way or both ways? One way. Hmm. See, I've hiked some mountains before, and four hours doesn't sound like enough time ah, to me wow. now. I feel like if it's the highest mountain in Austria, it would take you at least like six or seven there, hours to get well, to the top. You have to think about that. Of course, it doesn't mean that it is as high as another mountain in a different country. This is Austria. So their highest mountain, and it took about four hours. Unless they have like pitiful mountains, because I've I've hiked Mount Monadnock up in New Hampshire, and that took us four hours each way, and that's not a landmark in well, any capacity. I think you have very huge mountains in in the U.S., but I don't possibly. I don't know. <laughs> I want to say I'm gonna go with your lie. I don't think four hours is enough time to get to the top of a mountain. But depending on the size of the mountain. it's not it's by the by the definition of it being a mountain it's a minimum as a minimum height isn't it to be a mountain surely so that's true so it can't which i do not know the middle no but i but i (laughs) but i think it has to be pretty big before it's called a mountain otherwise it's just called a big hill i suppose unless there's a technical word for it Mm. but i'm thinking yeah could it i think big hill is the technical word could a mount could something be technically big enough to be called a mountain be climbed in four hours it could also well should i by non-experts. Wow. I am. I would call it a mountain, but that might also be my my language skills because English is not my first language. So of it course, could be but... a big hill. <laughs> it could be a big hill. <laughs> I don't know. I'm again. Technical term is big hill. So what do we do now? Do we have to decide if we think Mel's lying? You have to decide yeah, if you yes. think it's a truth or not. Uh, yes. Do you think she's lying or telling the truth? I think she's puffing with me. I was veering on believing it until you said you'd done some climbing and it didn't seem feasible. So, so I've, I was basing it on nothing and you're basing yours on doing some climbing. So, so I'm going to go with you and say untrue. Okay, it's not true. <laughs> yes, I knew it. Melbourne Nadok is not even that high. <laughs> it took us four hours each way. I was like, okay, if okay. I climb the mountain that's closest to me, it's like two hours each way. I... And that's definitely not a big mountain. <laughs> I do have to say, though, I have been on it, but I have been driving it up. Uh, yeah, so I can let you know how high it is. So in feet, it would be 12,460 okay. feet high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Mount Monadnock is 3,165 feet, and that's a four-hour hike back and like to the top of that. Yeah. 
I was just thinking, damn, I didn't think it through. How long do you climb up that thing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I asked that question. That turned out to be quite a piercing question. <laughs> yeah. So four came to my mind and I thought that it's probably not enough. Oh, God. Yeah, four is definitely <laughs> not enough. That's like a 12 hour hike. You both got a point. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah, I like this game, right. <laughs> and just for our European friends, it is 3,798 meters. Still very high, yeah. regardless. But it was pretty it. cool. <laughs> I, I think I have something. Okay, go ahead, John. I have helped out with open heart surgery. Oh, wow. What role did you play? I was an ODO, operating department orderly. I passed... Um, Oh, the instruments to the surgeon? Yeah, but I, I would pass them from the non-sterile world into the sterile world. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I let Juliana go first. I think he's telling the truth. Okay. I feel like you have enough weird connections, John, <laughs> that you would know someone. Pull a string. <laughs> Part-time job in operating theater. Yeah. Who is a surgeon or is someone, one of the surgical assistants of someone, and you just showed just enough interest where you're like, I must be part of this. <laughs> and they were like, okay, this is the job you can do if you don't have any actual training as some kind of medical professional. Okay, so you're calling me out on it true. Mel? I think to remember that actually the other day you mentioned something like that in the stream. <sighs> Damn me and my big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not 100% sure if I think it was something like it but I'm not sure if it was the heart or brain or something maybe like a, it maybe it was a double bluff maybe I sowed the seed in the stream Ooh-hoo. ready to bluff you yeah, and he was planning ahead and you know it's <laughs> difficult to play that with an actor because they can hide their facial expressions very well you can. Um, ah, no. I okay I go with it's true it is true. Yes! Yeah! <laughs> I used to work in an operating theater. Random job number 325. While I was at drama school, one of the actors at drama school was also a nurse. Mm-hmm. He used to work through an agency as an agency nurse. Oh, yeah. He ended up running the nursing agency and a job came in for an operating department orderly seven nights a week in the operating theaters in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. And he offered it to me and my mate as a job share on the night shift. So we were basically porters, but porters who work in the theatre, operating department orderlies. The the Mm. job is normally the stepping stone job for someone who wants to be an ODA, who then normally goes Mm -hmm. on to become an anaesthetist. Mm -hmm. But I was just an actor at a drama school. So we would clear all the the used linen from the operating theatres at first. And then overnight, we would sleep somewhere, unless there was an emergency, in which case the theatre would be quickly brought to life and... The operation would happen and I would be in the operating theater as the person on the non-sterile side. So they would say we need a you know, number seven sutra, suture, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. I'd go to where the sutures are, suture. open the suture, and then I would have to open it in a special way to drop the sterile suture onto the sterile mm-hmm. mat for the surgeon or whoever to then use. I saw open heart surgery, saw liver transplants, saw brain surgery. Wow. Oh, absolutely insane. I mean, loved it in, in a good way, you know. It was just That's kind of cool actually. Just and as an actor as well to get to be in that, you know. And like you said, the you know, that is the only role a non-medical skill non-medical skilled person can do in that operating theatre. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, damn. I'm not very good at lying. I never know <laughs> I never know how big to make the lie. <laughs> I'll tell you what, most of our guests are bad at lying. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so you both got points. Yeah. Right, Juliana, your turn. 
Yes, it is my turn. So my statement is that though I saw Deathly Hallows Part 2 in theaters, I did not see Deathly Hallows Part 1 in theaters. So I did not see your scene in the movie theater. Ah, I did. (laughs) So did I. That's a clever one. (laughs) Very personal as well. Very personal. I, I like to come at people in the heart and just stab them right in. It's confusing. Right in the heart with my statements. Mixed feelings. Yes. I, I don't want it to be true. <laughs> I think it's true. You can ask me a question. Uh, I just gonna ask why did you not see it in theater? Yeah, why? Explain yourself. Why? Colin, explain yourself. I didn't Colin. see it in theaters because I was in high school when it came out and I did not have the money to go. <laughs> to see it but we actually ended up seeing it at the drive-in movie theater as a family i saw you on the drive-in movie theater which isn't as good because it doesn't get dark until like actually 10 o'clock with the movie starts at like nine you're getting a very disapproving death eater stare here <laughs> i know i he doesn't <laughs> the dri- <laughs> wait until that i think it's true okay mel what do you think i also go with it's true it actually is true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because we it came out over the summer. Any movie that came out over the summer, I ended up seeing pretty much in the ducky in the drive-in theater. I am one of four kids and my mom would pay 20 bucks for the whole car of us to go see a movie. Makes perfect sense. If you want, there's a second movie after it too. So you pay 20 bucks, six people get to see two movies. You can't go wrong. Win, 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 win. <laughs> exactly. Well, we saw through you. Okay. When we didn't see through you, we saw through your honesty. Yes, I know. This, <laughs> this is one of the few times that I actually haven't lied. Most of the yeah. time I feel like I lie. <laughs> Okay, with that, we all have collected two points each. And, uh, oh, fantastic. Very no fair. one caught up to anyone because it's equal. Still. It's the same. No, it's still. the same. It was, it was all a waste of time. That changes nothing. <laughs> it was all a waste of time. No, we learned very nice things. <laughs> yeah. The guests we are did. still leading now with 19 points. Juliana has nine points and I have seven points. Well, at least I, I didn't let down the guest side. No, you didn't. No. For that. You did great. I held the line. Exactly. <laughs> well, John, if you just want to leave us with your social handles so that way people can find you wherever you want to be found. Oh, yeah, indeed. So Twitter, I'm just at John Campling, J-O-N-C-A-M-P-L-I-N-G. No H in John. <laughs> Instagram, John underscore Campling. Apologies for the lack of continuity, but John Campling had already gone, so... <laughs> They're the two main ones, really. Oh, and Twitch. Uh, yeah. On Twitch, I'm Real King Regis. All one word. Real King Regis, because I'm Real King Regis. Not yeah. that Sean Bean yeah. impersonator bloke. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and you're on Cameo, correct, too? And you said you were on... Oh, I'm on Cameo as well, yeah. Uh, cameo.com slash John Campling, I think. Uh, but just search yeah. me, John Campling on Cameo. Uh, and I'm on Mem- uh, Memo as well, which yes. is a new Cameo thing. And again, just search John Campling. I'll make sure that everything is linked down below in the episode's information so mm. they can easily find you. Oh, I always forget this. And yeah. I am trying to get to a thought. I started doing TikTok. Oh, okay. I really like TikTok. I, it's hmm. way better. There's a lot of silliness. Look at that, Mel. Someone else who likes TikTok. <laughs> I think from any social media platform, you get from it what you bring in. 
Mm-hmm. You, you curate your own stream. You see what you follow. Follow rubbish, you'll see rubbish. So I follow a lot of guitarists. So I'm seeing some oh. mind-bendingly good guitar players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some amazing mm-hmm. female guitar players. I mean, who play with amazing nails. I mean, I use the tips of my fingers all the time. So <laughs> oh, yeah. To, only, to not be able to use your tips, I don't know how they do it. And there's so much unbelievable creativity. It's both inspiring and daunting, but I kind of focus on the inspiring. But mm-hmm. I want to go live. So you can, you can do live streaming mm-hmm. on TikTok but you have to have a thousand followers annoyingly which just seems like a really Ooh. a really okay. nasty annoying little barrier that really just uh. so i'm trying to get to a thousand followers on tiktok just so that i can stream at the moment i do my i do my gym sings on instagram where i go to the gym and i run 5k live at the gym and i and i stream while i do it and i chat and i sing and it goes quite well on instagram but i think that would be perfect for tiktok i think something like that something crazy a man running 5k while he sings to people is is much more of a tiktok thing than an instagram thing so i keep forgetting i've got to remember to promote my tiktok yeah but i'm john campling on tiktok as well well i just followed you from our tiktok Woo-hoo! and i'm desperate to try i just want to get to that thousand not for any ego thing just because then it triggers yeah, streaming yeah, you and can i think do once i can streams, stream yeah. on tiktok i can kind of really leverage tiktok a lot better once i can live stream so lovely thank you so much i'll follow you from the pizza wizard too the pizza <laughs> wizard is my character that i do awesome <laughs> I shall follow you back. Go follow John on on all of these places and catch him on Twitch. Thank He's you. live streaming almost every day. Yep. It's really fun. There's lots of nice people in the chat. Yeah. John always has fun stories to tell over there as well. <laughs> so if you enjoyed this, go and <laughs> join us over I there. I like to, you know, they, they're kind of predictable but unpredictable. I'm trying to play guitar every day, but things go wrong and I change the lighting yeah. every day. And- then one day I'll just kindly rejig the studio and it, I alternate between electric and acoustic. So it's interesting <laughs> to see the difference between electric and acoustic because that changes the way I play. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving us your time today and telling us yeah. all these amazing stories. It has been so much fun. Guys, thank you. So I will definitely keep seeing you on your Twitch because we're just having so much fun with you over there. And uh, <laughs> you, You've earned a Puff the Magic Dragon. I owe you a yes. Puff the Magic Dragon for this stream. <laughs> <laughs> And guys, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you first for you know thinking of having me on the stream and then actually having me on the stream. And, and uh, yeah, it's been amazing. Can't wait to come back. Yeah, it's been so fun. Yeah, you're always welcome back anytime. So yeah, if you ever want to come back, just let us know. It yeah. would be nice to come back at some point and perform. Actually, yeah. do some songs. When, sure. I, when at the moment oh, yeah. I'm, in, I, I'm in my learning phase, I'm in yeah. My, yeah. my training phase. But once I'm into my performance phase, which should be in the next sort of month or so, and I've got some performances, I'll come back and do a little set for you guys, maybe. Yeah, that'd be, great. be great. We'd love that. Amazing. All right, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> Cool. Guys, it's been an okay. absolute pleasure. I look forward to next time and uh, I shall see you, Mel, on my next stream. Take care. Yeah, you're well. Lovely to chat with you as well and meet you, Juliana. Nice to chat with okay. you, John. Okay, guys. See you. Have fun. Tour. Good luck at trivia. Thank Bye. you. Bye. <laughs> okay. So if you would like to find us here at Popcast, you can find us where Julian is trying to find up this so she doesn't screw anything up. She's trying to bring the <laughs> socials back up. Okay, if you would like to get in contact with us here at Popcast, we are on all platforms where podcasts are found. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PopcastPod. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PopCast. We are on TikTok at PopCast. And we just followed John, so we'll see what he's up to over there. <laughs> you can also send us an email at popcastpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to, you can support us on Patreon, getting exclusive bonus features like bloopers, which I'm sure there will be some extra cutout pieces that Mel will pull from this episode because it was quite long. I think there's going to be plenty because we recorded three hours. 
<laughs> yeah. So if you'd like more in-depth discussions with John yeah. and potentially a guitar concert in the future, join us over on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. And part of that donation goes to a charity donation every month. So thank you very much to our patrons for helping support that as well. And if you'd like to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, we would love to read it here. And until next time, stay puffy. And walk tall and badger on. I was going to say, like, stop the train. And I was like, but he doesn't do anything <laughs> when he, like, actually stops the train. He's just like... Phew. He keeps saying walk tall. That's his okay. line. <laughs> okay. Walk tall then, friends. All right. Okay. Okay.